You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast. As time progresses, supply chain is going to become more and more of an issue across the board. Supply chains basically make the life that we take for granted possible. So it's incredibly complex. Although to you and I, if we're not involved in supply chain and we're just living our lives, it seems really simple. And then the third thing we look for, obviously, as venture capitalists is something that scales and scales efficient. Imagine if you went to the grocery store and everything was gone up like five times. Stay tuned as we bring you inspiring people who are unlocking Africa's economic potential. You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast with your host, Tessa Adamu. Welcome to the Unlocking Africa podcast, where we find inspiring people who are doing inspiring things to unlock Africa's economic potential. Today, we have a special guest, Brian Awe, who is supply chain tech expert, co-founder and general partner at Refashioned Ventures and co-founder at Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good, Teresa. Thanks for having me. I think the first thing I'll comment for the listeners is that this is the first time, hopefully, they're hearing on a podcast someone from Kano talking to someone from Kaduna (laughs) (laughs) who live in the diaspora (laughs) and are talking about supply chain. It's a first in history. (laughs) The wonders of technology and the modern world. Exactly. I think that's an amazing way to get us going for the podcast. So thank you for that, Brian. Before we get started, can you please introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about what you're doing at Refashion Ventures and Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. Of course. So um, I come from Ghana. I grew up in Nigeria. Uh, Specifically, I grew up in Kano, which is why I started with the joke about Kano and Kaduna. Did all my elementary schooling in Kano, uh, secondary schooling in Nigeria. Then I came to the United States to go to college. I won a grant and have lived in the States since then, since 97. And around 2016, I was working at a venture capital firm, an early stage venture capital firm, and started thinking about where opportunities in the future would lie. Um, for early stage technology investors and also what that meant from the perspective of what I should focus on, where I should start to specialize in. And together with my co-founder at Refashion Ventures, Lisa, developed this thesis that as time progresses, supply chain is going to become more and more of an issue across the board. And the reason for us thinking so was We believed that geopolitical tensions would increase. We believed that the climate crisis would keep getting worse. And we believed that consumer behavior would keep being more demanding on retail retail companies. And so for all those reasons, every single one of those would add incredible stress to industrial uh, supply chains meaning that they would need to become more efficient and they would need more technology and new innovations to enable them to continue to function the way that uh, customers expect and the way that suppliers and producers expect them to. 
And so, you know, in 2018, when I left my old firm, we said, let's build a supply chain, a supply chain venture fund. And that's what Refashioned Ventures is. Refashioned Ventures is an early stage technology venture fund focusing specifically on supply chain across across industries. And when we say a supply chain, it's more than just logistics. A lot of the time when you encounter other venture funds that say they invest in supply chain, what they really mean is that they invest in logistics, the logistics uh, portion of what what happens in in supply chain. We, we, We think... If if supply chain is going to be your thing, you really have to be all of supply chain. So supply chain management, supply chain logistics, supply chain finance, you know, procurement and sourcing, um, all of it, all the nuances <laughs> that go into <laughs> what the supply chain is. You, you, and that raises the question, and 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 I'll come back to um, to the worldwide supply chain uh, federation, right? I'm talking about supply chains, but I haven't I haven't said you know what exactly is uh, is a supply chain. So a supply chain, very simply, is a network that enables production and consumption. Uh, I'm not going into the, this isn't the theoretical, this is not what you would find in a textbook. But when you take all the definitions in textbooks and encyclopedias and whatnot, and you boil it down to its essence, that's what a, a supply chain is. It's a complex network. The reason the network exists is to enable anyone or any organization that produces things to produce that thing and then to get the thing it has produced to the customer that needs to use that thing or to consume that that thing. The, 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 the definition sounds simple. Putting this in practice in the real world is incredibly complicated because this means you have to look for raw materials. You have to find vendors who can supply those raw materials. You have to uh, get those raw materials to a production facility like a factory. You have to combine those raw materials into a product. Then you have to move those raw materials to a storage a storage facility. Then you distribute them to the various outlets that will sell the product to um that will sell the product to the end consumer. And then you have to get it into the end consumer's hands. The end consumer consumes it. And now we're starting to think about what happens at the end of the consumption cycle. Uh, For certain types of goods, at the end of the consumption cycle, there is waste. What do we do with that waste? What's the impact of that waste if it's not recycled on the environment? Um, so we start to think about reverse lo- uh, logistics and circular s- supply chains and that sort of thing. So it's incredibly complex. Although to you and I, if we don't, if we're not involved in supply chain and we're just living our lives, it seems really simple, yes. right? I, I I wake up. And, you know, I decide I need to get some groceries. I walk to the grocery store and like magic, <laughs> like magic, I can buy my groceries. Everything's there. <laughs> right, everything's there. I have no comprehension of the complexity behind the scenes to get that grocery store stocked. Um, and so that's the, that that's what the supply chain is. I I, I like to say that, that, that supply chains 
basically make the society that we, the life that we take for granted possible, right? It's the foundation, it's the foundation on which the world around us is, is built. Um, so Refashion Ventures is investing in all the innovations and all the technologies that are required to make what we do in society uh, possible, uh, with, with, so, with some exceptions, right? Our investors expect us to make them money. So some aspects of what happens in supply chains we think aren't scalable, aren't the sorts of things that a venture capitalist should invest in. So we won't invest in those. But where we think we can, we can earn venture returns, we'll make an investment. Then the other question you asked was, what's the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation? So yes. as, as I was working on developing this investment thesis, one day, and it was August, I think it was August the 23rd of 2017, I got to the office, I sat down at my desk, and it, it, it was at that point that I was like, you know, supply chain is so big and so important and so fundamental to what happens in the world that this has to be the thing I fo- this has to be the thing I focus on. <laughs> there's nothing bigger, there's nothing more important, there's nothing more consequential than this. So then I said, you know, I should go to a supply chain meetup. Surely there's a supply chain meetup in New York somewhere. I should go hang out with those people. And when I looked, there was no supply chain meetup. And so I said, no, there has to be a supply chain meetup. I'm going to start one. So that's how we started in New York. Other people, once they heard about this crazy idea, they said, can you help us start uh, meetups in other places? especially outside the U.S. The early interest first came from outside the U.S. And I asked them, well, why do you want to do a supply chain meetup, you know, in Bangalore, in, uh, in Melbourne, in, uh, in Vancouver? Why do you want to, in, uh, someone in Marseille reached out, someone in London, someone in Zurich. I was like, why do you guys, uh, someone in Frankfurt, why do you guys want to do supply chain meetups? And most of them said, well, we too have startups in our own communities solving the types of problems you've described. And, you, you know, by the time they get to like an institutional seed round or a series A, they usually need to go to the United States. And so as your community in New York is growing, it would be great if we could be directly connected so that our folks can uh, work with you guys when they need to. And so that's how we went from being the New York Supply Chain Meetup to becoming the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. So think of it as a loosely connected network of meetups, um, all trying to connect the people who are looking for new innovations for for the supply chains that their businesses depend on with the people who are building who are building these new innovations. So on the one hand, think of a chief supply chain officer at a really big company who is looking for a supply chain visibility uh, platform. And then on the other hand, think of a startup founder who is actually building this supply chain visibility platform and is trying to find corporate uh, customers. 
those are the two primary constituents of the of the of the community. And then, of course, we we surround them with other people who have an interest, who have an interest in what they're doing. Um, so there'll be other startup founders, there'll be other executives. It's cross industry, um, um, much in the same way that uh, Refashion Ventures uh, is industry agnostic. But I'll, I'll keep quiet because otherwise I can keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> no problem, I, can keep, I can keep talking. <laughs> First, I was like, is Brian going to stop at some point? <laughs> no, I'm enjoying it. But no, as I said, thank you for, it's a very comprehensive description of Refashion Ventures and the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. You also touched upon the growing importance of supply chain due to global political, economic and environmental factors. Yeah. So for the people out there that don't quite understand supply chain, what is the importance of getting our supply chain right from, say, a local and global perspective? Fundamentally, everything we do depends on an underlying supply chain. And so what that means is, I'll use an example. In the United States right now, there is a baby infant formula crisis. Yes. In other words, moms, parents who have you know, infants uh, going to the grocery store or a uh, pharmacy, wherever they buy their infant formula, and they're discovering much to their dismay that the shelves are bare. And the reason is that there's been a disruption in the supply chain for baby infant formula. Now, without getting too much into the weeds, what has happened in the United States is that one of the very large producers of baby infant formula, a company called Abbott, had to shut down one of its production facilities in February it shut the facility down because there was a concern that the facility had become contaminated and some of the products were causing babies to get ill. So that was shut down. In the meantime, the laws in the United States prevent the import of infant formula from other countries. So it's against the law to import infant formula into the, into the United States. So once that facility was shut down, 40% of production went offline. At the same time, demand is beginning to increase a little bit because the formula that people had bought during the pandemic, that formula that people had at home is now finished, right? So demand is increasing again. So it's this confluence of the manufacturing capacity has gone down, demand is going up, and we can't source more uh, product from other places. And so that's an example of why it's so important to get supply chains right. Because when we don't get them right, life becomes much more difficult. So things get more expensive if they are available or they just are not available. And so people have to find alternative means. Going back to the infant formula example in the United States, one, parents can find infant formula or if they can find it, it's taking them a lot of time. They have to invest a lot of time. Some are traveling to other states in order to buy infant formula. Uh, when they can find it on the black market, it's selling at 10 times what they would usually pay. 
it just goes on and on and on. When supply chains, when there's a disruption in, in supply chains, life overall gets very, very difficult. Imagine if you went to the grocery store and everything was either unavailable or the price had gone up like two, three, four, five times. Yes. That's the sort of thing that can happen when supply chain are disrupted. Just one more thing. When it gets really, really bad, it becomes an issue that can cause political instability. And yes. the example I will use there is what's happening in Sri Lanka. A lot of the time, we, we don't think in these terms. And even I didn't really understand this until I started spending all my time thinking about supply chains. But the fundamental job of every government is to create an environment where supply chains are functioning smoothly. And when I say smoothly, it's not that they're perfect. There's no supply chain that's perfect because supply chains function in the real world. But by and large, you can get what you need. You know, the, it's not too expensive. Yes, it would be great if, you know, things were cheaper, but overall you can get by. When, for whatever reason, that situation does not exist, you know, so there's a shortage of food, shortage of fuel, uh, things are very expensive, inflation is running rampant. When you have all those things together, it can cause political instability. And I think that's what we're seeing in Sri Lanka. What's happening in Sri Lanka is the population has become fed up with the fact that people just can't get the things that they need to live the life that they are accustomed to. And it's not that they're asking for a luxurious life, right? It's just, we, we, we just need to survive. We just need to be able to survive. And true. even that is not possible. There was someone on TV the, uh, the other day who said, the best case scenario, they were having one meal a day. And in many instances, they couldn't even afford to have one meal a day. Oh, wow. When that becomes something the entire population is dealing with, there will be political instability. You touched upon the supply chain disruption of infant formula in the US and Sri Lanka, and also emphasizing that everything we do depends on a underlying supply chain. So if you look at the African continent, obviously, because this is the Unlocking Africa podcast, yep. supply chains in Africa have been drastically weakened after the global pandemic. What are some of the ways we can bring supply chains back to life across the continent? So I, I don't know if, and the caveat I'll give is that I'm not an expert on on Africa, right? I come from Ghana, grew up in Nigeria, so obviously I pay attention. But I've mostly been focused on trying to get, trying to establish myself as a venture capitalist, get the fund off the ground. And then once we're standing on our feet, potentially invest in, in uh, supply chain startups in, in Africa. Because the biggest opportunity for supply chain innovation and technology to make a difference is across the developing world. So having given that caveat, I don't know if I would say that, well, I, I think I agree with the way you phrased it, right? That, that they've been weakened. But I would also make the observation that 
supply chains across Africa to begin with were in a very precarious, a very precarious state. So um, in 2019, I wrote I wrote an article for Freight Waves. I used to write a weekly column at Freight Waves. And yes. Freight Waves is the is the biggest uh, uh, media portal. Uh, 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 serving the the supply chain uh, community globally. So the the article was titled Modernizing Africa's Logistics Capacity One Startup at a Time. And the the idea, very simply, is that, you know, logistics is the backbone on which supply chains are built. And so... One way to get supply chains to start functioning the way that you want them to function is to create an environment in which logistics can flourish. And and logistics, just to be more specific, is that set of activities in the supply chain that is focused on um, uh, uh, storing and moving goods. across the supply chain, right? So there's a lot of transportation, there's a lot of freight. This is where shipping, trucking, rail, air cargo, warehousing, uh, uh, distribution, that's all part of of what happens in in supply chain uh, uh, logistics. So creating an environment in which those activities can take place is absolutely is absolutely essential. The other thing that I would say is that making information, right? So, so in supply chains, there's two big things that happen. Goods move across different nodes in the chain, but information also has to move because the, the two happen in tandem. And so one way to think about it is, you know, understanding where there is production that has taken place, understanding where there is demand for whatever has been produced, and then making it possible for those two parties or those two two groups of people to interact with one another through through logistics is is how you strengthen strengthen, uh, uh, supply chains. Now, that's somewhat vague, but I think what it means... I think what it means is that one, you have to put regulations in place that make this, that make this possible. I know when I was when I was at home, trade between Ghana and Nigeria, for example, was not as smooth as it could be. Yes. So making that much much easier. Um, uh, there, there's no reason why trade between African countries should be more difficult than trade between any African country and countries abroad. Right? That, that, that touches on a whole host of other topics that, that we can get true. into. But, but, but broadly speaking, and, and if you want me to get a little more specific, because I can talk about the logistics performance index and that sort of thing. Yes, I mean, let me lead on from this. Obviously, you mentioned logistics is the backbone of supply chains and understanding information and goods moving in tandem. When this doesn't happen, we see occasional, say, rises in costs, which we're seeing across the 
globe and in Africa. We're seeing a rise in costs due to the pandemic and now the crisis with regards to Ukraine and Russia. From your perspective, obviously this is an overarching issue that goes outside of supply chain as well. How can people adapt their supply chain strategy in the face of rising costs? This is where sourcing and procurement comes in, which unfortunately I think is an area that is, is mostly ignored by organizations. But sourcing and procurement basically is the process of developing relationships with a variety of potential suppliers so that when one source of supply is no longer viable, you have a ready alternative. And it's more complicated. It's a little more complicated than that, right? Because it can't just be, hey, I get all my supplies from one vendor. I never do business with, so so let's say vendors A and B. I get 100% of my supplies from A. And then when A can no longer meet my needs, I go to B and say, hey, can you you now meet it? B is going to be like, what, are you nuts? It's going to be six months before. It's going to be six months. Before we have the capacity or capability to do so. Yeah, So, 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 so there's a bit of strategizing, right? Perhaps I get, I don't know, perhaps I get 60% from A, uh, uh, 20% from B, 20% from C, so that if A is ever offline, I can now go to B and C and, and increase uh, uh, the amount of business I do with them, right? But, but, but I'm not a sourcing expert. So it's something along those lines. But this is where sourcing and procurement, pro- procurement comes in, right? That having relationships with enough vendors in enough different places so that if something goes wrong with one of them and they can no longer meet uh, a customer's needs, there are alternatives. Uh, um, so, so, so that's one way. That's one way to do it. The other way to to think about it is um, is using some sort of technology again that gives visibility into what's happening into what's happening in the supply chain and for companies especially uh, uh, and even for for people who aren't necessarily a running companies i think for a long time this question of supply chain visibility has been has been you know it's been an afterthought it's like oh yeah supply chain visibility is just about knowing where your container is on the ocean and when it's going to arrive. But it's a lot more than that. And and I think the pandemic has made people realize that supply chain visibility is a lot more than, um, it's a lot more than that. It's understanding the state of affairs across your, your supply chain at any point in time. And then the reason you want to understand the state of affairs in your supply chain across any point in time is so that you can adjust and adapt before things become a crisis, right? And and so having interconnectivity with your suppliers, having interconnectivity with your customers, so so that at any point in time, you understand what's going on and you can start to adjust before you're taken completely by surprise. I think that's, I think that's important too. Now, the issue with the issue 
with Africa specifically, and, and this is where I try to be cautious, is that often the infrastructure is not as robust as it needs to be, right? So you live, you live in the UK, I, I live in the US. It's easy to take for granted that the that the IT infrastructure, the information infrastructure is all there and can be utilized. And so when you know when some of my peers who are investing in supply chain startups in Africa ask me for advice, the, the thing that I say to them is how robust is the infrastructure that this startup is going to need to rely on? Um, and, and, if, and is that infrastructure robust enough so that this service can be delivered in the way that customers in the, uh, in, in, in the way that customers expect? And if the infrastructure is not, is not robust, how is the team thinking about alternatives? So that the level of service that they can deliver to their corporate their corporate customers is 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 what is again is what those is, is what those customers expect. Um, uh, I'm I'm now thinking about my about my answer, and I'm like I think I went off on a tangent. I don't know if I even <laughs> no, no, I don't know no, no, if no. I even answered I don't know if I even answered Teresa's question. Oh, you've answered. <laughs> I think you gave it a lot of additional value, which is great. But one thing that you did touch on is the importance of sourcing and procurement strategies to adapt your supply chain strategy. I think one thing that we're seeing, it, or we have seen it, is due to COVID pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine conflict, we're almost seeing a reverse globalization through reshoring of value chains. What impact could this have on, say, African economies? That's a great question. And I think it's a question that a lot of people are trying to understand. Because even in the U.S., it's like, oh, my God, everything is going to be reshored so we don't have to depend on anyone else. Yes. Um, you know, the interesting thing about supply chains is that they don't exist in a vacuum. They depend on a lot of the quote-unquote infrastructure that surrounds them. And some of that infrastructure is hard infrastructure. Some of it is soft, is soft infrastructure. So hard infrastructure is, you know, roads, ports, uh, uh, warehousing, uh, uh, distribution centers, and that sort of thing. Soft infrastructure is rules and regulations, you, you know, skilled, yeah. skilled employees, um, an education system that can pump out people uh, who can be trained and so on and so forth. And a lot of that isn't the sort of thing that you can just snap your fingers and put in place. No. Right? A, a lot of that takes years and years, if not decades, to put in place. Yes. And so as companies think about you know, hey, there's a crisis in Ukraine and Eastern Europe might not be the best place for our our production facilities. Maybe we should move them somewhere else. Or, you know, tensions between the United States and China are increasing. Maybe we should move some of our production out of China and move it elsewhere. These are, these are some of the issues that they have to think about. If we moved our manufacturing to, you know, to Nigeria, does the 
accompanying infrastructure that we need to make this work? Does that exist? Um, if we moved it to Ghana, th does that exist? Yeah, and, and I'll come back to the logistics performance index. The yes. World Bank, the World Bank publishes a logistics performance index, and in the article I mentioned, um, I looked at the 2018 ranking. So there are 160 countries on the logistics performance index. Uh, in the 2018 rankings, Germany was number one. No country in Africa made an appearance until South Africa at number 33. Interesting. Cote d'Ivoire was number 50. Rwanda was number 57. Kenya was number 68. Benin was 76. Mauritius was 78. And you're probably you're probably saying, wait, where is Nigeria? Where is Ga where is Nigeria? Where is Ghana? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Ghana was 106, Nigeria was 110. Remember, there, there were 160 countries on this thing. So as you can see, the logistics, according to the World Bank at least. Ghana, Nigeria, most countries in Africa do not have very, very strong uh, 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 logistics infrastructure. To, to to put it simply, by by comparison, by comparison, China is twenty is number twenty six, Vietnam is number thirty nine, Malaysia is number forty one, India is number forty four, Indonesia is number forty six. Turkey is number 47, Mexico is number 51, Brazil is 56, and Russia is 75. So if you're a company and you're thinking about where do I move my production to, and you're looking at this, it's, it's very difficult to make a case to, a board, to the board of directors that Africa is without question, that any country in Africa, except for South Africa, of course, that any country in Africa is a much better bet than, than China or Vietnam or Malaysia or India or Indonesia or Turkey. Yeah, very interesting. So if we delve deeper into the logistics performance index, yeah. what kind of areas or measures or factors are they looking at to come up with the ranking I don't have the paper in front of me, but what I remember from when I looked at it is basically consider it an assessment of how strong logistics in general is as a part of the economy, right? So the way that I interpreted it was we look at the economy, we look at the, the logistics infrastructure, and we look at how logistics contributes to how the economy is doing. And then we, we compare one country to another. So Germany was number one. Um, I can't remember where the United States was, but I remember that I was surprised that the United States was not higher in the ranking. I think Germany was number one. Switzerland was probably number two or number okay. three. Um, uh, the, the general thing that you can take away from the logistics performance index is that the stronger a country's economy, the higher its ranking on the logistics performance index was. 
And so one thing I thought would be interesting to do would be to do like a regression analysis of the logistics performance index versus GDP growth. I just haven't had time to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if anyone else would be interested. I think it would make for an interesting piece of research, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I think you could give that to someone for their PhD. For for their PhD, you're right. That that, that sounds like a PhD project. (laughs) No, but it's a good question because everyone is asking the question, even in the United States, companies are thinking about you know, how do they restructure their supply chains? And there's always a desire to move uh, production to a new market where costs are cheaper, uh, that's closer to the United States, that's a little more removed from some of the issues that are taking place in other parts of the world. But then there's also the question, like, like I was saying, do the other things that need to exist those other things in place. Yeah. I think we used to call it, is it a total cost of ownership? Yes, that's exactly right. So so when you take into account the total cost of ownership, is it still going to make sense to move production? Now, in some cases, you have no choice, right? If China and the United States hate one another and it's just untenable to produce in China, then you have no choice but to look for an alternative. But again, when you're looking for alternatives, you're going to want to move to another location where your total cost of ownership is the lowest. Fantastic. So you touched upon the hard and soft infrastructure. We've spoken a bit about logistics performance index. So if we look over it from a different perspective in terms of what could support the repairing and increasing the robustness of African supply chains. Your speciality, your expertise is investing in technology. What role can technology play in repairing or increasing the robustness of African supply chains? Let's assume that the underlying infrastructure is not going to change. Yes, Right. Let's assume that we have no way of influencing, you know, the government to improve roads, ports, any of that stuff. What sorts of innovations would one create in that kind of environment? And so the sorts of innovations that I think are most promising are those that, going back to the supply chain visibility issue, are those that give more visibility, create a little more transparency as to what conditions are across various markets, across various supply chains and whatnot. Because then what that enables uh, participants in the supply chain to do is it enables them to say, okay, given these constraints that we have, there is, you know, there is a farmer in Zaria who has produced this amount of tomatoes. Um, And those tomatoes need to get to a market in Lagos. How do we make that happen? Do we send a truck from Lagos up to Zaria to pick them up and bring them back to Lagos? Or is there a trucking company in Kano 
that can pick them up in Zaria, take them down to Lagos, and then make the return trip, and then make the return trip back up to back up to Kano. And is there is there a way for the return trip to be worthwhile? Because we know that there is a load in Abuja that needs to go up to Kano in you know in about two weeks or something like that. So the, just it, it sounds it sounds really simple, but given that given that our assumption is we have no way of controlling uh, the other aspects of um, of logistics that would need to be in place for all this to work, just providing just providing the information so that people can make the best decisions possible, given the constraints they have to 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 deal with. I think that's the so. So some of these innovations look like pure supply chain uh, visibility platform. So it's just giving you visibility as to what's happening. Some of these look like marketplaces where a trucking company can list its services uh, and people who need trucking services can can also list their needs and, and the marketplaces can act as a matchmaker. Some of it is software for uh, for logistics service providers. So this is freight forwarders and freight brokers who act as a middleman between shippers and carriers. Um, uh, uh, some of this is application de- de- developers. So um, obviously, a lot of people on the continent uh, 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 depend on mobile on mobile devices. So how do you develop applications that are efficient enough that you don't need to have a laptop or a desktop? You you can be using a mobile phone. And even then, um, a lot of people on the continent are probably not on the latest and greatest smartphones, right? So they are not using iPhone 13 or whatever the latest uh, Samsung device is. So can you develop applications that will work on any type of, of mobile de- of, of mobile device in, in, in those in those environments especially? Can you develop uh, can you develop your innovation so that for the farmer in a village in um, in northern Ghana, this works on their feature phone? In the context of Africa and other developing markets, those would be the sorts of questions that I would be asking. I think they're very important questions. So you've given some excellent scenarios of how innovations in technology can support supply chains in Africa. I was wondering if we could look deeper into technology in terms of what role can technologies such as, say, blockchain play in Africa's supply chain? I actually will push back on that. I would say let's not focus so much on the specific technology. Like let's not focus on blockchain. I would say let's focus on solving the problem. And if it turns out that blockchain technology or distributed ledgers or whatever they're called is absolutely the best way to solve the problem, then let's use that technology. If there is a more straightforward, more easy way to solve the problem, then let's use let's use that alternative. Because I think sometimes the risk the risk that we can run into is you know if we say oh well 
supply chains in Africa are broken, let's fix them with blockchain. You know, then we've trapped ourselves into, as opposed to saying, what's the problem? How do you solve it? What's the best approach to solving it? We're starting with, oh, well, blockchain must be the best answer. Now let's go see what we can use a blockchain to solve. So rather than the solution looking for a problem, let's focus on the problem and what the customers, what the end customer needs. And only once we figure that out, let's then decide what the best solution is. So I'm, 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 not, as, I'm not as big a proponent of blockchain as one would, as one would expect. Um, you know, I, I hope there is a place for blockchain to air technology. In fact, in our portfolio, there are two companies that that use blockchains as the underlying technology. But that is not the selling point, right? The selling point is not that that there's a blockchain that's part of their platform. The selling point is, hey, if you are a customer in this in this market or in this industry, and you're trying to solve this problem, our platform solves your problem. The customer does not need to know that there's a blockchain underlying, underlying, underlying it. And depending on who you talk to, right? Blockchain is either the best thing since sliced bread or blockchain is a complete waste of time. I am not, I don't exist at either end of that uh, of that spectrum of of dogma, um, you know, I, I like I said, I think it's yet to be determined if blockchains can solve problems in supply chain at scale. And so let's you know let's keep exploring. Let's see let's see what happens. I like that answer. I asked that question for a reason, so thank you for that. Very honest answer regarding your position in terms of it's best to understand the problem and find a solution and also the role that blockchain can or might not play with regards to technology so if we look at i guess technology and your role in terms of what you do as an investor what do you look for when investing in supply chain startups so Maybe three things. One, the team has to understand that for most of their customers, what they're building is mission critical. Yes. One way to think about supply chains is that supply chains are the operating system of the business world. Like I said, everything we do, there's an underlying supply chain. If you consume something, if you can sense something, uh, if you can touch something, there's an underlying uh, supply chain. If you can buy something, there's an underlying business supply chain that makes it possible. So supply chains are the, the operating system for the world of business. And so any team that is building an innovation for, for supply chains in any industry has to understand that what they're building is mission critical. And so that is one thing that we look for. Um, they have to understand that this is a business of trust, right? Before someone's going to use what you've created to run their business, they have to trust that you understand the problem, that uh, your technology is going to work. And if they adopt it, 
it's not going to ruin their, their business. That's one. Um, in terms of the team, because supply chains are so complex, we look for teams with people that have complementary skill sets. Uh, someone has to be, and, and this I think is true for any for any venture capitalist. Someone has to be really strong on the technology side of things, so they can build they can build the technology, um, they can design uh, uh, what the platform needs to look like, and then. Uh, someone also has to be able to talk the talk of supply chain. So like I said, supply chain is mission critical. And if you go into customer meetings and it's obvious that you have no idea what you're talking about, yes. no, no, one is, no one is going to test your product, much less even buy it. So there has to be someone who is, you know, hardcore technologist, maybe doesn't know too much about a supply chain and there has to be someone who understands business and supply chain and can talk the talk and walk the walk. Uh, uh, one thing I used to say to founders, I'm like, for crying out loud, you, 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 you asked me a question about blockchain, so I'll use that. I'd be like, for crying out loud, don't go to any customer meeting where you're talking to supply chain folks and start with something like, Blockchain is going to disrupt supply chain. Like, don't say that. The minute, the minute you say something like that, everybody is going to think this person does not know what he's talking about. This founder does not know what she's talking about. And if you are lucky, if you are lucky, maybe they've had such a difficult day that they need some entertainment. <laughs> and so and so and so they will chat to you for 30 minutes. They'll be like, oh, look, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. I've had a difficult day. <laughs> Let me just blow off steam with this person. But it's not going to go anywhere. Um, so someone who knows. And then the third thing we, we look for, obviously, as venture capitalists is something that scales and and, and scales efficiently. So um uh, uh, you know, in, in supply chain, initially sales cycles will be slow. They'll be somewhat long, but as time progresses and the market understands the value of the innovation, we look for uh, the possibility for for those sales cycles to shorten, um, and and for and for the company to scale as efficiently as possible. There, there, there are a lot of other small things that we could get into, like network effects and whatnot. But these are the three, these are the three big things. If if the answer on these three things is yes, then we can move to a second, a second level of um of analysis. So you've beautifully detailed what you're looking for when investing in supply chain startups and the value of the innovation what are some of the innovations and trends that you're seeing globally that you're quite excited about and could have positive impact within africa that's an interesting question so i'll answer that from the macro perspective rather than drilling down into specific things because again supply chain is so complex that if we wanted to go into the specifics, we'd never, <laughs> we, we would be on for 24 hours. But I think generally across the globe, businesses are realizing that they can't ignore what's happening in their supply chains. And so they need to invest more 
in understanding what's happening in the supply chains. And so that is exciting, right? Because now if you're a startup that is building a product, you will at least get an audience, right? Whether you'll make the sale, that's a different question, but you'll at, at least get an audience. There'll, there'll be investors and customers who want to hear, who want to hear your story. Um, the second is that end consumers, right? Individual customers, right? People who are, uh, uh, they're going to the, they, they get up, they're living their life, going to the grocery store, taking care of their families and so on and so forth. They understand how important uh, supply chains are. And they are making demands about how they, what they expect, right? So, um, uh, for example, in Australia, where they're having elections this weekend, uh, I think for the first time, according to the BBC, for the, for the first time, climate change is playing a role. Is playing a role in in the elections, right? People are more people are talking about climate change now. The reason I'm mentioning climate change is because there's a there's a strong link between climate change and supply chains, right? The the way we have designed supply chains in the world is contributing a lot to what's happening in the environment and to climate change. And so individual consumers are beginning to understand this and they are beginning to make demands of, you know, their governments, they're beginning to make demands of companies especially the younger uh, younger people are beginning to make demands of companies hey shape up your supply chain or we'll buy from your competitor who uh, who seems to be doing a, a, a better job so from that sense it's quite it's quite exciting and i think that i think that um, that trend is going to strengthen as the years go by uh, for all the reasons i gave before um, and then from the from the startup founders perspective it seems to me that there are also more founders who are realizing that this is this is this is an opportunity that is is here to stay it's going to get bigger and bigger and so there are more founders tackling these types these types of problems i mean the fact that we could crack a joke about blockchain technologists believing that blockchain is going to disrupt is going to disrupt the, the supply chain. I think that's a leading that's a leading indicator, right? That's a leading yeah. indicator of what's of what's possible. That for for the first time, possibly, when technologists are thinking about the types of problems that they could solve. I think solving problems in the supply chain or in, in, in supply chains, because there isn't one supply chain. There are lots of different, there are lots of different supply chains. Solving problems in industrial supply chains uh, is an exciting and attractive uh, alternative. That's what I'd say I think is exciting. Oh, thank you for that, Brian. So you kind of touched upon businesses are now understanding that they need to invest in supply chain solutions for future growth. And also consumers now understand the importance of supply chains. And you're seeing more startup founders exploring supply chain startups. Mm-hmm. 
as a discipline or profession, do you think that supply chain is progressive in terms of how it adopts technology? I think so. And actually, the joke I cracked about blockchain, Yes, there are two versions of that joke, right? So one version is don't go in and say blockchain is going to disrupt supply chain. The other is don't go to any meeting with a supply chain professional and say there is no technology in supply chain. (laughs) Don't do that because the only way supply chains work to begin with is because they're always using technology. Now, the argument that we can make is that it is time to upgrade the existing technology. Very much so. Right. That is the argument we can make. We can say you should no longer be doing this with email and Excel and PDF. We have, we have developed a better way. Right, we have developed uh, uh, a software that will automatically extract the information in the PDFs, that will automatically extract the information in your emails, will auto-populate a form, and you can test the form. Oh, we've even developed a, a way for the software to check the information in the form and to flag the fields that need to be reviewed by someone. Right, so that the human being in that position is focused on reviewing the things that have been flagged as opposed to getting information from emails and Excel spreadsheets and that sort and that sort of thing. That is an argument that anyone will 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 hear and say, okay, that's very reasonable. Let's have a conversation. But if you go in and your first statement is Oh my God, people in supply chain don't use technology. <laughs> and again, again, they will be like, clearly this, this woman does not know what she's talking about. <laughs> and, and, and you probably won't make the sale. So I think, I think, yes, people in supply chain do adopt technology to get their job done. Uh, the argument we, we can make is it's time for them to upgrade. And there's a lot of advantage to upgrading whatever they're using now to what is to what is being to what is being developed um uh uh, uh. and you know it, it, it's it's interesting because at a certain level it ties back to the comment i made about companies for a very long time i think supply chain has been thought of more as a cost center um, it has been thought of more as uh, uh, something that, you know, there's no real benefit to investing in it. And that is completely wrong. I mean, supply chain is how any company meets its customers' expectations. Basically, supply chain is the business. If you don't have supply chain and operations, and I tend to think of supply chain and, and operations as, as one and the same, but if you don't have supply chain and operations, you can't make whatever it is you sell. So if you can make whatever it is you sell, you don't need sales and marketing. If you can make whatever it is you sell, you don't need finance and accounting. There's no accounts receivable. There's no accounts pay. There's no accounts payable. Yeah, there's no business. <laughs> yeah, there's no business. But if the senior executives don't understand that, they're not going to invest adequately in supply chain to support the business. That's what I think is changing, right? That executives now understand, oh, wait, 
supply chain is the, the engine, is the beating heart of our business, and we need to, to invest in keeping it healthy. There, there's a saying in the military, amateurs discuss tactics, pros discuss logistics, and you can substitute logistics with supply chain, right? <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the businesses that are the best, that are the biggest, most successful in the world, if you look at all of them, supply chain is one of the ways in which they maintain their competitive edge. I think that's a perfect summary or answer. So you touched upon supply chain is progressive in adopting technology, but there is an argument there some technology may need updating Mm -hmm. for future competitiveness and the importance of supply chain within a business in terms of if there's no supply chain, there's no business. So if we look at or kind of keep on the theme of future competitiveness or the future, where do you see Africa's role in global supply chains, say, in five years' time? If you asked me that question even six months ago, I might have given you a different answer. That's the nature of supply chain. But, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's the nature of supply chain. But in that time... You know, Russia has invaded Ukraine. China and the West continue to butt horns. Just yesterday, Canada announced that it is banning Huawei and ZTE from its 5G networks. Yes. So I I think over the next few years, we're probably going to see global trade start to break into three parts which will be connected with one another in certain ways, but which will be separate from one another in other ways. So there'll be one block that is closely aligned with the United States and its allies. Let's call that the Western block, maybe. There'll be another block that will be China-centric. And then there might be another block that is Russia-centric. And what that means is that Some of the things, not everything, but some of the things that the Western bloc used to rely 100% on China for might move to other locations, to other jurisdictions. So one example is, um, let's say, maybe some automotive manufacturing, where perhaps a lot of that was happening in parts of China and parts of Southeast Asia. Maybe some of that will now move to Mexico some sorts of raw materials that perhaps used to be sourced from places in Asia might now be sourced from from African countries. And so if I were an African government trying to position myself, I guess the question is, will I be more aligned with the Western bloc? Will I be more aligned with the China bloc? I don't think very many are going to be to be in the Russia in the Russia block, um, uh, just because the Russian e- economy is not is not that big, and then what does that mean in terms of the sorts of innovations I have to enable, the sorts of laws and regulations I have to put in place? You know, I think for Africa, getting the Africa Free Trade uh, Agreement. Uh, getting that off the ground and implemented and actually working so that uh, commerce and trade on, on the continent is is increasing. Uh, I think that's 
absolutely important. I think that's critical. Uh, if that doesn't happen in five years, I think there is, I think there is a problem. Um, uh, but those would be some of the things I'm thinking about. That I know that's not a very good answer. I'm not in government. I'm just, I'm just reading the tea leaves. I'm just <laughs> reading the tea leaves and trying to figure out. But then again, I think that creates an opportunity for startup founders, right? Because with these changes happening, it means that companies are going to have to take a look at their supply chains from end to end and make decisions about one, how those networks are designed, what innovations they need in order to manage something that's not 100% as tightly connected as it used to be and how they'll manage those information flows. Because I think companies will continue to do business across the world. It's just not going to be Oh, you can do all your manufacturing in China and then ship it over to another part of the world just to sell. You, you, it's probably going to have to be a little more nuanced. I agree. I agree. So thank you for that very insightful view of the future of global supply chain and Africa's role within it. And also you touched upon the importance of an integrated supply chain in Africa through the AFTA agreement, which is extremely important. So we've spoke about where do you see Africa in five years time from a supply chain perspective. So if we look closer to home, where do you see yourself in five years' time in terms of the work that you're doing in supply chain and investment-wise? Hopefully in five years, we have raised our second fund. So right now, we manage a rolling fund on angel lists that's really primarily designed for individual investors, for high net worth individual investors. Um, we just started the process of raising an institutional fund so in five years, hopefully that's coming along nicely and we're raising our second fund. I really want to get to the point where we are actively sourcing and looking at startups, uh, building innovations on the continent. So hopefully in five years, we're doing some of that. At this point, we just don't have the capacity to do the, the due diligence and provide the support that would make that possible. Um, uh, so yeah, in, in, in five years, if we're doing those things, I think I'd count that as, as us being successful. That's a great position to be in and a great place to aim for and something I think yeah. that you will achieve with no problem. Thank you. Quote of the week. As people, we often have quotes, mantras, proverbs, or even affirmations that keep us going when times are good or challenging. Do you have one that you can share with us today? Yeah, it's an Igbo proverb, which I think I came across. I can't remember which novel it was, but I know it was one of the African writers uh, series. It might have been one of Ch Chinua Achebe's books. But it goes something like, the sapling that is protected from strong winds never grows into a strong tree. It's one of my mantras because generally when, you know, we're doing something and we run into difficulties and, ch and challenges, like, oh, why is this so difficult? Why is, <laughs> but if you look at it from the other perspective, it's the difficulty and the challenge that, um, you know, like the proverb says that it's, it's the strong winds 
that ensure that the sapling becomes a strong tree. Um, Very true. And so keeping that keeping that perspective in mind is something that I've found I found useful. Nothing is ever as easy as I would like it. As I would like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it highlights that, you know, personal growth comes through challenges and Challenge, overcoming yes. challenges and yes. obstacles. No one wishes for problems, but, you know, life is full of challenges and that's how you grow and develop. Yep. Um, yep. That's exactly it. I like that one. I like that one. As we're coming to the end of the conversation, do you have any closing remarks or final calls to action? You know, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record. I would say again that when Lisa and I started thinking about this in 2016, about supply chains and technology and innovation in 2016, the evidence that exists now did not exist at that time, right? So there was no pandemic. You know, yes, we could talk about geopolitical tensions, but people would be like, oh, it's not that, it's not as bad as you make it, right? Obviously, Russia had not invaded Ukraine with all the attendant problems that that is causing. But I think with every year since then that has gone by, the evidence has increased. And I tell people, it's not like I could, it's, it's not like Brian has the influence to go and persuade someone to create this evidence to support his argument. <laughs> I wish <laughs> right, I wish I had that amount of influence, but I don't. This is just something that, uh, that is happening. And so I think for people who are listening, right, whether you are just a consumer who you, you know only re- relies on supply chains from that perspective, uh, or whether you run a business that produces something and sells it to customers. I think just paying closer attention to what's going on and how that affects uh, your business or your day-to-day life, I think that would be the call to action. And, And because supply chains are so prevalent in what we do, learning about them, uh, whether it's to help you run your business or to help you just understand how they affect the economy overall, it's not that, dif- it's, it's not that difficult. There's a lot of information online, right? Uh, a, a podcast like this one are a great place to start. Um, and so I think that would be my call to action. I think one more thing worth mentioning is the, is the connection between how supply chains work today and the impact on uh, the environment and on climate, because that's, that's a connection that is, is, uh, is, is definitely, is definitely true. It's, it's, it's impossible to, to argue with. Um, and so just paying attention to how those two are connected is, is the other thing that I would, the other thing that I would highlight. Thank you, Brian. I think that is a fantastic way to end today's conversation. You know, as a supply chain professional myself, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure everyone listening will enjoy it as well. Thank you. It's been extremely insightful from a global and Africa perspective. So thank Thank you you for your time today. I know you're extremely busy and it's quite early over in New York. So 
<laughs> I'm 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 drinking a cup of coffee, unlike you who's sipping a bottle of Guinness or whatever beer, whatever beer it is. I'm imagining you with your feet on the table, a bottle of beer in your hand, you asking me a question, you put yourself on mute, you, you let me go on and on and on and on and on and then you, you know me too well. <laughs> Fantastic, Brian. I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you, Teresa. It was really good to talk to you. You too. And I'm sure we'll be speaking again pretty soon. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you to everyone who has listened and stayed tuned to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, or tell a friend about it. You can also rate, review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. Thank you and see you next week for the Unlocking Africa podcast.